You can turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, if you'd like. We'll go ahead and pray. Dearest God, it is a delight to be gathered as, as your people as we come to behold the beauty of your face. God, we pray and we ask that you would make yourself known to us again and again and again as spiritual beggars. We come and we have nothing. And we are able to come to you, the King. So we come with broken hearts and chaotic minds and empty hands, God, and we come to You and beg of You that You would fill us up through Your Spirit and make Yourself known and let us behold the beauty of Your Son. Amen. But, Mom... But, Mom, but, Mom. Words that I, I repeated quite often growing up uh, to my mom and to my dad. It might not surprise uh, many of you, probably none of you, that uh, given a task or being told to do something growing up, I would take it as a perfect opportunity to begin arguing with my parents. I actually, I called them... Uh, the other day to ask them if there's any time, you know, do you have any good stories of when I disobeyed you? And they, they began laughing at, at, in response of that. So whether, whatever it was, you know, clean your room, do your chores, be ready for soccer or football practice, I would take it as a wonderful opportunity to put my foot in the ground, have a good argument, and then put my foot in my mouth as well. Whatever the issue again, whatever it was, I would take it as a perfect opportunity to rebel against those in authority above me. Enter in my first job. That pattern continued on afterwards. But this, this rebellion in our hearts is not just displayed on some carnival sideshow. It's everywhere. In every crevice, in every corner of our own hearts. It's tucked away in there. When we're under authority, we rebel. We know that we want to walk away from that. And so if we're under authority, we rebel. And if we're over in authority, then we, we domineer. And this goes on and on. And so let's, let's take a look and see what Peter would have to say about this. First Peter chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 1 through 5. First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is about to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, and not domineering over those in your charge, but as examples to the flock. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the main idea of where, where we're going to be going, as you look at the text, it's quite apparent. Now Peter is addressing the, the elders, those who are the elders and those who are younger. Those who are the elders are supposed to, to lead and to shepherd, and those who are the younger are to follow. But keep in mind that this is, this is not a thesis on church polity and how we're structure, how we're supposed to tr- structure the church, but no, Peter is attempting through this letter to reframe the way the people are thinking as they are walking as sojourners and strangers through this foreign land. So we've repeated it several times, but we want you to remember it. That, so there's this persecution that is happening. And Peter is, is writing to them and he's training them to look, not through the lens of the world, but through the lens of the new creation, through the lens of the kingdom of God, through the lens of the gospel. That is how we're supposed to live and to see the world around us. He's calling them to see the world through the new creation, not through the brokenness that is surrounding them. Not through the paradigms of this world even. They are beautiful, but they're tainted by sin. And so, such things as as authority and being subject to authority, they're beautiful in that they replicate God and they show the beauty of God, but they're tainted by sin, and so the world will look at that and want nothing to do with it. So you have abuse of a power or rebellion rather than subjection. But what Peter is calling us to do in these verses is to behold the beauty of Christ. And image the beauty of Christ. And how do we do that? Well, we image the beauty of Christ by leading. As Christ is the Good Shepherd. And then we also image the beauty of Christ by submitting. So what do you do? Take away from this this week. Think about this. Especially with... (laughs) Have you guys had your eyes open the last couple weeks? About abuse of authority. And rebellion. What does Peter have to say about that? This week, ponder that. How can you image the beauty of Christ in this world? Well, you do it by leading and through submitting. Before we jump into the text, I want to say that this is for all of you. Not just if you want to be an elder, as as we were talking about. But whatever sphere you're in, if you're over five years old, you have people that you have influence over that are supposed to be listening to a younger brother, younger sister. So even if you don't want to be an elder, if you're not an elder, this is still for you. Additionally, as a congregation, you hold the elders here accountable. You hold us accountable as we fearfully and prayerfully lead this congregation. We are only able to do it by the authority that you have given to us. And so what is the measuring stick by which you will hold us to? 
Well, here it is. This is one of the verses. And so this, if you, as individually and, and collectively as a whole, you must hold us accountable because you have given us this, this authority. So with that in mind, let's, let's go back to the text and see what it looks like to lead well in this world. We're going to be doing verses 1 through 4 here. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Jesus Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. Here it is, the main imperative. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter's writing here to, to give an account to the elders in these various churches. Remember, this letter is written to various churches throughout Asia, Asia Minor. And he's telling them how these elders are to go about their lives and how they are to conduct themselves. And as the consummate elder, what does he do? He models it for them. Do you see that? Right in the very language. He doesn't command them, but rather he exhorts them. I exhort the elders among you. And what is he doing? He's, he's with them. He's saying, as a fellow elder. As a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He's coming with them, and He is among them. And what are they to do? As we said, the main imperative here in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And we'll talk about shepherding in, in just a moment. But whose flock is it? Whose is it? It's God's. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. As elders, as pastors, we're just temporal hired hands of someone else's flock. And admittedly, you you some of the, the some are very good, and sometimes it happens quite regularly, almost by default, it happens when you get around other pastors, and it's just pastors, and they let the guard down a little bit. It doesn't take long before this self-aggrandizing talk begins to flow out of them about their church and how big they have made it. With no realization that, no, Jesus Christ has purchased us. We belong to Jesus Christ and to no one else. Remember, we are the flock. We are the flock of God. And so why then this imaging, imagery of shepherding? There's a multitude of imperatives that Peter could have used, right? He could have said, lead them. Dictate to them what they should do. Or command them. But no, he uses this subtle language of shepherding. So let's take a look at that. Starting in the beginning, Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. And they must sustain a living for themselves. And so they have two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain is an agrarian. He has fields. But there's this brother, Abel, who is a shepherd. He's a keeper of the flocks. And so right in the beginning, you see this, this, this developing theme of the shepherd who is one who Abel makes an offering to God that is acceptable by faith. 
And what happens? He's killed for it. So right away, right in the beginning, we have this understanding that a shepherd is someone who makes an offering by faith and he's then killed for it. And it's pleasing to God. Then you move on. And you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're all shepherds. They have great amount of they're, they're meandering from land to land, but they, are, they have great flocks and they're shepherds. And when they go down to Egypt they, and they go to the land of Goshen, the, the Egyptians actually look down upon them. You see this in Genesis 46. The Egyptians look down upon them because they are shepherds. And then you have this pivotal... Adam and I were talking about this in the offices quite a bit. You have this pivotal, pivotal turn with Moses. He's a shepherd. He, he leads... Well, he, he kills a guy, right? Let's be honest. He, he can't control his anger. He kills a guy. Pharaoh knows about it. He has to leave. He goes to the land of Midian. And he, he's a shepherd for 40 years. He goes up into Mount Horeb. He sees a burning bush in the presence of God. And God tells him, go back to Moses, or go back to Pharaoh and tell them, let my people go. And he leaves the flock and he goes, but what does he take with him? never puts down his staff. You see this? He's still a shepherd. And he goes to Egypt and he gathers his people, his new flock, and he brings them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, out of bondage and slavery, through a wandering and into the Promised Land. Are you seeing the theme develop here? So a shepherd, a true shepherd is one who makes an offering that is pleasing to God through faith and he gives his life for it. A true shepherd is one who leads his people out of sin and slavery and brings them safely to the promised land. You see that later on, the judges in 2 Samuel 7, these judges that led the people of God, they didn't some of them didn't do very well, but they were regarded as shepherds of God's people. And then you see the kings. Under this habitual reign of ungodly kings, especially in the northern kingdom, the prophet Micah is lamenting that the people of God are scattered on the hillside. And how are they, how are they understood? As sheep without a shepherd. And the prophets, they, they pick up on this language. You see this theme developing. And the prophets pick up on this language. And um, Isaiah, especially, in chapter 40, when you have this pivotal turn, and chapters 1 through 39 of Isaiah, destruction, judgment, it's coming. Hold fast. Chapters 40 through the end, we have this understanding of a new kingdom, of what it's going to look like, and how beautiful it is, and how God is going to come and redeem His people. And so, how will He come and do it? What will He do? Isaiah writes, He will come with all of His might, but He will come and He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms and He will carry them in His bosom. And gently, He will gently lead those who are, who are young. <laughs> If only, if only there was one who would come 
who could come and who could come and shepherd us, who could come and lead us beside still waters, who could come and restore our souls, who could come and satisfy us, not for our own glory, but for His name's sake. Don't you see the world needs this? Don't you see that you need this as well? In our own rebellion, we walk away from God. We flee from God. We run away from God. In our own hearts, our own desires, we are like sheep that have gone astray. And we need this good shepherd to come and to lead us back to God and to bring us into the promised land. Thankfully, there is one that has come. The good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Jesus, He calls Himself the Good Shepherd. And this is what He says in John chapter 10. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the Good Shepherd. I know My own and My own know Me. Just as the Father knows Me and I know the Father, I lay down My life. I lay down My life for My sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock. Beloved, there will be one flock and one shepherd. So in this, in God's providence, we already see this trajectory set of through Abel of one who's going to give his life as an offering to God, and it's going to be pleasing through faith. He's a shepherd, and, and Moses is going to lead the people into the promised land. And all of these don't quite capture it perfectly, but they all point to the one who does capture it perfectly, and that, again, is Jesus Christ. He knows his sheep. He cares for them. He leads them beside still waters. And in Christ, in Christ alone, he will bring us home to the promised land. Turn to Christ. Beloved, turn to Christ. You've done it a thousand times. Do it again. We're like sheep wandering away. We're prone to wander, aren't we? We sing it. We're prone to we wander. We need His constant shepherding. If you've turned to Christ a thousand times... Turn to Him again. Let Him gently lead you. If you've never turned to Christ, now is the time to let Him shepherd you and your soul. Gently care for you. And bring you home. Through brokenness, and through the chaos of the world around us. But it goes on. Peter has this restoration. He denies Jesus Christ three times. But then at the end of John, you see that he is restored three times. And what's the command that's given to Peter? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Really? Yes, I do. I love you. I love you. I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And it's quite clear then that Peter is carrying this on, which has come from Jesus Christ to Peter. And now Peter is carrying this on to other elders. 
in the churches around them. So it's against this backdrop of, of Abel and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and the, the, the ungodly kings, with the judges, the ungodly kings, the prophets, and Jesus Christ Himself, against this, this whole backdrop that Peter is writing them. And then it makes perfect sense when he's calling them and, and inviting them and exhorting them. He's not telling them anything new. They didn't read this and go, oh, that's what I should be doing. No, he's, he's inviting them to leave and live the life of Christ. So how do we do it? Well, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Again, look to Christ. He's, he comes and he, it's not like God the Father gave him the boot, like he was 18 years old and he had to leave the throne room of God and he goes, oh, I'll, I'll go to, I'll go to earth, I guess. That's not it. No, it's not under compulsion, but willingly he comes and he shepherds his people. Willingly, they didn't take his life, but willingly he laid down his life. Okay, so we shepherd the flock of God, exercising not exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. And then it goes on. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And John also writes in 1 John that whoever abides in Him, whoever abides in Him must walk as Jesus walked. He's the, the consummate example of how we are to live and lead and serve as well. So Peter is calling us. Listen up. Peter is calling us, no matter our station, to become more like Christ. That's what he's inviting and calling us to do. And you guys, you have this calling. When we go out into this world, You are the paint. You are the canvas for our invisible God. We are the body of Christ walking around in this city. We have this responsibility and this opportunity through the Holy Spirit to display the beauty of our Savior. So you see this does, this applies to a scope far larger than to the, the, the five elders of this church or to a narrow scope of other elders. But no, if your husband Shepherd your family. Exercise oversight. Do it willingly. Not, you're not compulsed to do it because you're the husband. No, do it willingly. If you're a community group leader, or if you have children, don't domineer over them. Don't domineer over them in your charge, but be examples to them. And in doing this, all of this, when the chief shepherd appears, we will receive our unfading crown of glory, which is Jesus Christ Himself. Okay, so we've seen verses 1-4, through how we can show the beauty of Christ by leading. And we are to image this in the world, this invisible God that we serve, we can image this in this way. But as all things point to... Here's the beauty of Christ. As, as all things are pointing to Christ, not only in leading are we to image Christ, but also in submitting. Who do we look to? Well, we look to Christ and to Him alone. So let's go back and look at verse... or uh, Yeah, verse 5 here. 
verse 5, chapter 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Out of Proverbs 3. And I know, admittedly, I, I understand the awkwardness of this passage that we are coming to. I didn't, I didn't pick it. We're just preaching through 1 Peter, right? And um, I understand the awkwardness of being an elder and coming up to a verse that says, listen to the elders. I'm, I'm not that tone deaf. But as, as elders, what are we primarily first? Remembers. We're members of the church. And so we, we too submit to the leadership of our elders. This is how we, we, we be examples to the flock, he says in verse 3. But this is one of the ways we are examples to the flock, is in our submission to our elders. In fact, we have it, we, come to think of it, we have a double submission. We are accountable to the congregation. But then we also submit to the elder elders as well. This happens constantly. We talk about this, and if four want to go one way and one wants to go the other, well, you quickly find yourself, I quickly find myself on the outside looking in, and I go, okay, I'm going to submit to my elders, and I'm going to trust them to lead this church. So let's be honest, though. Submission, it doesn't come naturally. It, it's quite difficult. I mentioned it earlier, but it bears to be mentioned again. Look at the world around us at this time. Everywhere you look, everywhere you look, you see this abuse of authority. And it makes it nearly impossible to submit to them. And this abuse of authority coupled with our the rebellion that's in each of our own hearts makes it a dreadful, dreadful thing that can happen. And the tensions can rise. And neither side gives down. But what is Peter... What is the gospel calling us to do? Is that we, 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 we see the world around us, but we don't look through this lens. We don't look through and understand authority through the realms of, of officers who abuse their authority or employers who abuse their authority. That's not how we understand it. We must be looking to Christ. And in submission, we don't look to rioting and looting. No, again we'd be looking to Jesus Christ. Calling, Peter's calling them. Look to Christ. Whatever station you're in, look to Christ constantly. There's no other way to live through this world than to have your eyes fixed upon Christ. He's equal with God. Right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's equal with God the Father. Colossians 1, In Him the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell. He's equal with God. God the Father, but what does He do? He willingly 
submits. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord. He's God. Equal with God the Father. The Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. John 6, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And then when the crucible gets hot and He's in the Garden of Gethsemane and He sees what is about to befall Him, He's praying with blood dripping from His head and He's praying, not My will, but Your will be done. Why would we want anything less in our own hearts and in our own desires? Why would you want to walk in rebellion You see the outplay of it all, don't you? You see the riots cascading across our country? And this harmonious song of abuse of authority coupled with this disdain for submission. And without even knowing it, we can allow this understanding of authority and submission to creep into our own minds even within the own church, and it can take you so far from Christ before you even realize it. And in the world, it will make you think in, in terms of the oppressed and the oppressor. And that's it. Like it's some huge game of King of the Hill, you know? You get on top, and the only way to stay on top is to give a kick in the face to the other guy trying to climb up because you know once he gets on top, the oppressed will become the oppressor. And you'll be down on the t- bottom of the hill and trying to get your way up. And so under that recourse, well, yeah, you're an authority. You abuse your authority. What else are you going to do? And that understanding, yeah, you're in subjection. Well, you rebel, you riot, you loot. What else are you going to do? Do you see the chasm between the, what the world and their narrative, this cultural narrative, and what the Gospel has before us through Jesus Christ. They could not be further apart. What impression would it leave on the world if we willingly submitted to those who God had placed in authority over us? What impression would it leave on the world when we lead if we did it willingly, not under compulsion, not domineering over those in our charge, but being examples to them? What impression would that make on this world? This is a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful thing, and it's far different than anything the world could ever bring to you. The world, they need to know that there is another way besides abuse of power or rebelling and looting and destruction. Okay, well, that sounds good. How do we do it? Wrapping up here. Peter gives us the answer. How do we do it? It's at the end of verse 5 here. Clothe yourselves, all of you. All of you. In authority, in submission. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Why can you say that? Well, it says in Proverbs, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
So the only way we can capture this and display it to the world, in your own family, in your own neighborhoods, in this city, the only way we can capture this and display it, the only way it can settle down deep into your heart is through humility. You can't display the beauty of Christ by propping your own self up. You humble yourself. You lay yourself down. I must decrease and He must increase. So humble ourselves under the authority of God. And so we're we're clothed in this. We're wrapped in this. All of this humility and do this. Do not domineer, but shepherd. Don't rebel, but submit. So that the world around us can see the beauty of our Christ. So that Christ Himself can be the Good Shepherd. Not just in some book, but He can be the Good Shepherd of your own soul and lead you into the Promised Land where you will behold Him face to face and sing of His glory from age to age. Amen. Let's pray. God, we we need You so desperately, God. We see the, the, the rioting and the looting and the, the abuse of authority going around us, God, and it's easy to point out fingers at that, but in our own hearts, they are just acting out on our own desires, God. And I pray that You would crucify these desires within us. And let us see the beauty of Your Son and let us... Shepherd as He has been the Good Shepherd. Let us lay down our lives in full submission. Not to anyone else, but God, in full submission to You. And dear God, hold us fast as we walk in faith until we behold Your glory. Not through faith, but with our eyes. Amen.